Hey everyone, thank you for tuning into the latest episode of Lethal Podcast. In this episode, we sat down with Bill Vanderheiden, the owner, founder, CEO, all that fun stuff of Iron Will Outfitters. Uh, I know most of you probably know who Bill is. He was on the podcast before. Uh, Bill this year has released some new uh, products, so we talked about those, the new uh, single bevel that we were lucky enough to be prototype testers for, the solid wide uh, uh, from that 150 grains and up, and the very, very new, caught us all by surprise, Snyder Core uh, component slash broadhead system. Kind of unique. Uh, but yeah, we talked about all that and the benefits of uh, of, uh, of all that stuff, and it was a good time. You think you guys will really enjoy it. Uh, uh, as always, this podcast is fueled by Hunter's Blend Coffee. Go to huntersblendcoffee.com and use code ABF at checkout, all caps, and 10% of your purchase will be donated to the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. You know how much we love them. Do not forget ABF, Alpha, Bravo, Foxtrot, all capitals, at checkout, and 10% of your purchase will be donated to the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. Once again, Bill Vanderheiden with Iron Wool Outfitters. Enjoy. Zencaster for I don't know how long now guys a year probably a little over a year yeah and we, we've gone through all of them we've run the gamut with literally everything that's available the last time we recorded it was the biggest nightmare we've ever had and literally the day after we recorded that I got this huge email from Zencaster that was like Hey, we like we've been having lots of problems. We're about to roll out this entire new version. Please try it out. Like, like basically, like, oh, like I feel like they like saw like me like typing up like a scathing email to them, and and they were like, oh, we we need to save this guy, and uh, um, and and uh, so, uh, Bill, you are you're the first uh, first victim for the new new version of Zencaster. If it crashes and burns, we'll we'll, we'll swap after you. But you're the <laughs> you're the you're the final you're the final testing guinea pig to see if we're going to keep moving on with this thing. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, uh, um, I feel like we, we need to talk about the Packers for a second and Tom Brady. Um, not that's not, kind of painful not, to talk, man, about that. <laughs> dude. Uh, I, well, I, it's, it's so weird that we've, we all it, agree. It, 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 it blows my mind. We've got a guy from Missouri, Wisconsin, Colorado and Oregon in here. And this four Packers fan just, bl- just blows <laughs> my mind, but it, but it goes to show how well Packers fans travel. Like they're, oh, they're, yeah. ev- they're everywhere, man. We were, yeah. we're like, we're like a disease. Like we don't, we're like COVID. We don't, we don't go away, <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, and, man, and they don't uh, jump. They never jump from one team to another. Like you know, that's, that's right. That's so, right. Yeah. We're, yeah. we, uh, we don't, we don't abandon, uh, our, our team when, when our quarterback goes somewhere else, like some fan bases that I know. <laughs> Um, right. but man, I, I think, man, father time might be like a million and one, like Tom Brady might have beat father time. Like, I mean, we'll, we're right. going to find out, but it's coming for all of us, dude, that guy <laughs> is something else. And when he, when he, I, I living in Kansas city, like I, you know, I watched the, the Packers game a little more intently than most people did. Uh, um, but when, when. Tom Brady just absolutely ripped the Packers to shreds that first half. I was like, the Chiefs are going to lose in two weeks. <laughs> and no one, no one wanted to listen to me. No one wanted to listen to me. But man, that guy, he's just something else. Something else. But it was a tough day. Tough day a couple weeks ago for uh, for us Packers fans. But 
Anyway, I just wanted to yeah, complain, I was, and complain and moan about that a little bit. I put that out of my mind to try and just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bring up that sore yeah. subject again. Um, so uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been like eight months since we've recorded. Uh, a, a lot has happened uh, uh, between now and then. Um, you you hunted a lot. You had a you had a good twenty twenty man. You had a really good twenty twenty. Tell us. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you went and hunted and, and what those uh, what those adventures looked like. Yeah, 20, uh, 2020 was rough in a lot of ways, um, but not for hunting. You know, it, yeah. it was uh, a lot of other things I couldn't do. A lot of events got canceled, things like that. But, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, hunting went went well. I got to go to Alaska and uh, caribou hunt for the first time. That was Man, just, awesome. That was amazing trip um, way up in the Arctic. Um, yeah, it's. I just love that hunt. In fact, I'm going to try and go back again this, this summer and do it again. Nice. But, um, three when, of us when, went. When do you caribou hunt? When is, I know it's during migration season, but is that like August? Yeah. At this, in this area, at least, um, August 13th is when we went in. And I think we were the first or the second day of people going in. Gotcha. And they go through, I think they go through the end of September there, maybe into October. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, the summer, so we went, you know, when it was warm, it was, it was t-shirt weather, even though we're up in the, way up in the Arctic in the Brooks range and we hunted them kind of up in the mountains because they hadn't really started migrating yet. So Mm. they were Mm. still hanging out in the kind of the Southern Brooks range. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. Um, really fun hunt. Do, Do you hunt them over food sources if they're not quite on migration yet? Um, I don't know what their food source <laughs> is. That's, that's fair. That's all, fair. All there was is, uh, you know, it was just, it was tundra. There, there was not a bush. Yeah. There was nothing more than a few inches high uh, anywhere. I think they just eat the, <clears throat> I don't know if it's lichens or, or what, but anyway, they would, th- but they're always on the move. So even though they weren't migrating, they are moving back and forth. And like, you see one caribou one running one direction, another caribou running the other direction, like running right by each other and huh. wondering what are they running from? But I think it's more of a like defense mechanism that they don't want to stand in place too long and feed sure. too long. But um, yeah, we had caribou kind of in sight at all times, like a lot of like lone bulls coming through, um, but we could see for miles. So we're always spotting a caribou and one of us going on a stalk after them and yeah. Yeah. Three of us got uh, three nice bowls with our bows and, and three days of nice. hunting. So it was, it was a great That's time. That's awesome. Man, quite the, quite the hunt right there. I'm into that. So then, uh, uh, then you, you bagged a couple of elk, right? I, I do believe. I did. Yeah. So, um, after the caribou hunt, I elk hunted in Colorado, you know, backcountry hunt, mm-hmm. um, Packed in several miles. I got, I shot a bull. It was 11 miles from the trailhead in this, uh, <laughs> in this remote basin. Um, just an amazing hunt though, um, because this basin was, was way back in. It was full of elk and I was the only guy hunting it. Um, nice. Oh man. And so I was on, uh, when did I get that bull? Um, was it the second day? Don't, don't, oh yeah, well, don't give I, dates because somebody will like hack into your cell phone <laughs> account and figure out where, what basin you were in and they'll, 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 they'll find where you were at. Yeah. But, man, that's awesome. But I was on, I was on stocks like all day long for two days, bull after 
bull because they kept talking. It was it was crazy that early to have that much um, you know activity and right. Was that even was that even bull. was that even into September? Or did you shoot them before September even came around? Well, they they changed the season this year, so now it starts September second. Gotcha. Through September 30th. So it wasn't, it wasn't September. Yeah. Gotcha. Just a yeah, couple Garrett, days. That was a, that was a stud bull that you shot too. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I, I haven't scored it, but I'd say in maybe the 340 range, just, oh, yeah, just, Lord, just a ton of, a lot of mass that went all the way up and, oh, yeah. and the body size was just giant. Um, yeah, man. 11 miles back was, uh, say Jeff was Colin, Colin helped to get that whole thing out of there. I did. I had two different <laughs> buddies help me. Um, so two days of packing out yeah. So yeah, four, so four you, loads. Yeah. yeah. So you need to get them to the trailhead before you're like, Oh, now I'm, I'm 11 miles deep. <laughs> now <laughs> you, don't, you don't tell them you're 11 miles deep when you're, before they get to the trailhead, get them to commit, get them to get there. And then you tell them how, how far they get to walk. That's, that's funny. Uh, where else, where else did you, uh, get to hunt elk this year? So I hunted in Montana for the first time as okay. well. And so okay. I've been wanting to go there cause their season goes to middle of October. Mm-hmm. So I thought, Hey, I'll get to hunt, um, Colorado all month long for, you know, elk and bear and then go on to Montana. So I talked a couple of buddies into it. We went there. None of us had ever hunted there before. We just picked a, a mountain range really where, we heard it had, you know, historically been pretty decent for elk and we put on a ton of miles day one. Um, one of the guys had his GPS going and tracked us. He said we put on 31 miles. Oh, Christmas, dude. (laughs) So we are my, when I go elk hunting, I first go find the elk, you know, that's the mistake a lot of guys make is they just get a nice looking place and they just set up camp and hunt there. And um, yeah, I want to make sure I'm, I'm in the elk. So yeah, the first day we didn't take, we just took light packs and put the miles on and found the elk. And then day two, we backpacked into there and set up a camp Yeah, uh, a mile or so away. And, um, yeah. And hunted. then I might end up getting a really nice, uh, six by eight bull there. Six that by was, eight. Yeah. That was a great show yeah. too. Yeah. So Man. yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, elk, elk year for sure. It's yeah. I, uh, I think, I don't know. I, you know, not knock on wood. I've had a lot of, it's been very successful for me the last several years, but it was really because I had several years of really poor elk hunting um, when <laughs> yeah. I moved to Colorado yeah. and a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot to learn, a lot to improve over the years, but kind of reaping the rewards these days. Yeah, man, that's great. Um, so what, what was 2020 like at Iron Will? I mean, I know, I know that COVID just like it wrecked a lot of stuff, but was, was 2020, uh, I guess I'm not, I'm not asking you to like, tell me your sales numbers or anything, but was it, was it a good year for you? Did, uh, did, I mean, I would assume that people being all cooped up or or not being able to, uh, to go to work and stuff like that gave them more time to hunt. So I, I hope that translated well for you. Yeah, it was a good year. I think, you know, most companies I've talked to across kind of the outdoor, hunting industry and bow hunting in general, um, had a really good year. It, uh, you know, there was a drop in sales in like last March when COVID, you know, the COVID lockdown kind of happened everywhere. And I thought, I thought it was going to be a rough year right at that point. But, you know, a few weeks later, they kind of went, sales went back to normal. And then we had 
had really good growth this year. We've we've had we've had good growth every year, but it was uh, more than I expected this year. So that's good. Yeah, it was a good year. Man, that's great. That's good to hear. So uh, one thing I want to talk about because uh, the primary reason we we wanted to get you on here is to talk about some new products. And, uh, oh, one, uh, m- most of them we knew about and one, we most certainly did not until about eight hours ago. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I just, I, I just I, knew I, about it yesterday. So that's okay. Um, so, well, that's, it's a, it's a funny statement you make. Cause I want to talk about prototyping <laughs> and, and kind of what that looks like, especially from, from an engineering standpoint, because I know uh, uh, any engineer that I know, uh, cough, Rob, cough. Uh, uh, there's, there's a lot. There's a they, they want to do prototyping until it's, and you know, they'd prototype it until it's dead if, uh, if, if they could. Uh, but something it's, you can tweak uh, on. Sure, I don't disagree, <laughs> but uh, and but and I wish I wish other manufacturers would take this approach at least to some extent. But uh, I I know that a lot of manufacturers they'll literally just like whip something up and go straight to market with it. And as you know, as a group of guys who are exploring the ideas of of releasing stuff, we are we're taking the opposite approach to that. But I kind of want you to talk about what the prototype process or prototyping pro- process looks like for iron will when you're either coming out with new components or new heads and, and kind of what that, uh, what all that entails. Yeah. Generally for me, it's, <clears throat> it's about a two year process generally to release a new product where, um, you know, the first year is I'm designing, analyzing, um, maybe, maybe some initial prototypes, trying to kind of work the design out and then I'll build, I'll build a bunch of them and then place them with testers um, like this year with our um, single bevel and our wide solid broadheads. We had about a mm-hmm. dozen. Uh, is that right? We probably had probably, I'm going to say a dozen for the wide solid, but I think we had around 20 testers total that either had one or or both of the broadheads sure. to shoot. So um, that's what I like to do. Get a full, like full, at least fall of hunting season. Um, with them. I'm generally test, I've generally tested them before that maybe even iterated on the design once and then place them when I think the design is ready to go, place them with a bunch of people, right. um, get them to test them. Guys like guys like Aaron Snyder, they're going to go kill 20 plus animals with them. And, um, and he'll, I mean, he usually he shoots half the animals, then all the other testers shoot the other half. That's <laughs> 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 how it ends up. And so, uh, yeah, I get, I get all their feedback. Um, if there's anything and really we didn't get any negative feedback at all. Um, yeah, the, I made one change on the single bevel, which was blade bevel angle. And we mm-hmm. can talk about that yep. more later, but that was, that was already in the works, but just based on my own durability testing, I decided to go forward with that change. Um, sure. and so that's generally what I try to do is, yeah, spend a, the first year is like, I'm not, uh, I'm more design analyze. It's, it's more like maybe a year and a half, you know, sure. analyzing prototyping, um, and then placing with people, testing it, making sure it's, it's robust and then launch and then building, you know, ramping up a build to make enough of them before we, uh, before we start selling them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I know it's, uh, uh, it, it can, it can be lengthy, but I, 
I generally find the products that I that I prefer and the products that I like the most are ones that have gone through a somewhat lengthy prototyping phase. Uh, very, very rarely do you uh, uh, does does lightning strike and you uh, you you get or you catch lightning in a bottle rather, and it's uh, you right out of the gate you you create the the thing that everyone wants with basically zero prototype testing applied to it. So that's uh, uh, I'm I'm glad yeah, to see you know glad our, to see you're doing that. Our I mean, the first broadhead I spent seven years developing it. So yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> it a, a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's a long time. It, I mean, it wasn't my full time job at that point. It was something right. I was you know passionate about making better, and there was just a lot of details to work out. Um, the steel type, the heat treat, the how do you sharpen the edges, and so I mean, initially there was seven years of work that's kind of applied to every broadhead we make going forward. Exactly. That, Sure. That, that speeds it up. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to do, I mean, a lot, I know a lot of companies, I've contacted a lot of companies in the industry where they're, they're designing, they're, they're pretty much their first run of broadheads get sold. Um, and so they're not really, they're not really testing it to see if it has problems or durability or, or whatever. Um, mainly cause it's expensive. Um, right. you know, paying for, you know, years worth of, of engineering time or multiple engineers time yeah. to do design analysis, lab testing, iterating on design, all that, that's expensive, but also, yeah, making, um, making a bunch of parts, you know, making a hundred broadheads costs a lot of money Yeah, you're doing those, yeah. those small quantities. So I'm spending thousands of dollars, um, making these broadheads, um, for prototyping testing that, um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's what's most important to me in the company is making high-performing products, making the best products, and you know that cost is worth it to me to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I for one appreciate you doing that. Um, <clears throat> so you have, uh, I guess, technically three products uh, that I want to talk about. Um, the first one, uh, uh, Rob was lucky enough to to put through a, a deer this year, um, is your single bevel. Uh, and, and this, uh, uh, this, this is the one where when it showed up at my doorstep, I was like, Oh, this is exactly what I thought this was going to look like. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so I guess, tell us the story a little bit about, uh, uh the journey of this, this single bevel. I know you, you didn't, uh, you chose to not go with a single bevel when you first, uh, released your broadheads. And I think that, I think the vented was the very first version that you released, if I remember correctly. Uh, um, is there any reason, I know you've talked about before with the, with the pros of, of double bevels, but is there any reason that you were apprehensive about doing a single bevel or, or you didn't release a single bevel, uh, and only offered a double bevel to start? You know, I, I, um, I evaluated single bevel versus double bevel, you know, way back when I was initially, just testing a lot of broadheads out there, um, and then designing my own and it, so there's a, a couple things that are inherently stronger. Um, or I guess I would say that, yeah, I would say there's inherently a couple things that are inherently better with a double bevel and, and one that is that it's, it's, it's a little, it's stronger. Um, yeah, there's more support be, for the, because edge. there's more, well, there's, there's kind of pressure on both sides of this 
edge going in. And so sure. versus a single bevel, all the pressure's on one side and it's mm-hmm. wanting to, you know, kind of bend it over um, or roll that edge. And so, and, and often the single bevels are, are narrower um, angle than, than a, than a double mm. bevel. And so, sure. so that was a, that was a concern. They're a little more likely to get say edge bending or edge chatter. Um, and so I think more work goes into, and that was really my biggest um, kind of struggle with it is how do I get the strength that I need to give this a lifetime warranty and make it, you know, similar to our double bevel for strength. Um, so that was, that was one part I was apprehensive about. The other part is that single bevel causes uh, rotations. So, and it, and it varies depending on that bevel angle and the blade size and, um, that surface area. And so there's some, there's some development work there to get, to get what is kind of the right amount of rotation. Um, I didn't want to have too much in that. Um, it could, it could reduce penetration and sure. it creates additional know, drag. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear this, I, I've heard that from, I've been working with, uh, some of the Ashby foundation guys here recently. And that's one hey, thing I hear back from them. <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, they've got a lot of cool testing going on and I'm excited that we're going to be a part of that. Um, Oh, so they're going to be doing cool. some okay. yeah. single bevel versus double bevel um, <laughs> testing. I didn't, know, I, did, I didn't know we were going to get to hang out, Bill. That's that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Uh, yeah, I think I'm okay saying that anyways, that uh, they got some great testing planned. Yeah, yes, uh, they we're, do. We're planning to be a part of it, and I'm excited to, to see some of the results there because that's really one thing I've struggled a bit with is is finding like, animals where I can compare the penetration of our single bevel versus our double bevel sure. on a big enough animal that it doesn't pass, just pass right through so easily. Um, yeah. So I think they're going to be able to do some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you've touched on something that's, that's really, really important that I, I don't, I don't want to uh, blow by and, and, uh, uh uh, I'll say it, um, you can say it in a more tactful way if you, if uh, uh, if you want to, and and I expect you to because you're you're a really nice guy. Uh, but I think I think something that's really important here is that if you're going to shoot a single bevel, you need to shoot a single bevel that's made out of really high quality steel, uh, uh, because the benefits of having a single bevel are are mostly dissipated if you're using a really crappy steel, and unfortunately there's a lot of single bevels out there that are made out of really crappy steel. Uh, so, uh, well, and not if, even just the steel, just overall design. Yeah. And the design's I mean, really how poor. How many yeah. single bevels have we been asked about that? You've got a paper thin blade yeah. with no real bevel. Right. And guys are questioning why one, why you get edge damage yeah, and two, why they don't see the, you know, the typical, rotation or any of the the you know telltale signs that rotation was you know occurring in some form yeah it's like well because it's not a it's not well designed right or they'll they'll i don't i I think over design is the wrong word but they'll uh um to try and compensate for it they'll give it some like extremely 
uh um uh deep angle it'll be like a like a 40 or 45 degree to yeah to and so yeah point being uh if you're going to shoot a single bevel you need to shoot high quality steel well and and this goes back to the prototype discussion Mm -hmm. is that's why you prototype yep because all of those little factors change the outcome Mm-hmm. You change the bevel a little bit. You change the the total you know surface area a little bit. You change anything, and more than likely the outcome is going to change in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know I spent um, so I spent the last three years with people asking me to make a single bevel. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna yeah. say, was it just from knuckleheads like me, like emailing you every week saying, "Hey, why, why haven't you made a single bevel yet?" Is that why you ended <laughs> so, up doing it? <laughs> so what I was, what I was doing really was I was making, cause, you know, because when I've tested in the past, I've been testing another company's single bevel versus our double bevel. Sure. So it's not exactly apples to apples. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. their their edge wasn't as sharp, their steel wasn't as strong, things like that. So I really wanted to test it. Um, you know, I wanted to, okay, I'm going to try and design and build the best single bevel I can, compare it to our double bevel. And one of two things, either I'll have the data I need to tell people to, to stop asking me for it, because this is why, <laughs> <laughs> this is why it's not better. Um, or I'll test it, see something I like about it. And, um, you know, if I think it's good enough, I'll release it as a product. And yeah, yeah. And that's really where I ended up with um, when I first made, I first started with a 25 and 28 degree bevel angle, and mm-hmm. um, and a lot of lot of a lot of people out there use a 25 degree, um, and to me that wasn't strong enough. When I shot through heavy bone, and I mean our A2 tool steel is as tough as it gets. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's not and, many steels that can hold up to hold a candle to that that's for sure no and when i shot through um when i shot through really heavy hard bone or when i would just hit the hit the little rocks in the dirt you know on the other side of the of animals i was getting some some edge chatter some Mm, um, little mm -hmm. pieces of the edge tearing away and i don't see that with our double bevel at Mm. all ever on bone um or those little rocks either like that so i was concerned that it wasn't gonna be strong enough i um I moved up to a 32 degree bevel and then I, and then it seemed to fix the problem. I, um, hmm. and I had, um, John Lusk, Lusk Archery Adventures. I actually had him shoot our 28 and a 32 degree bevel through, through his testing, like his steel plate, things like that. And, uh-huh. and, uh, he saw some chatter at 28 degrees and it went away at 32. So if you look hmm. at his video, man, at 32 degrees there, the edges look perfect after I think five shots through steel plate. Um, and also into his concrete block, things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, it's overkill, but it, it lets you know if there's weak points in your design, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, so, that's why, yeah. that's why you do prototype testing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, when I got to 32, um, and our, our double bevel, by the way, is 19 degrees per side. So it's 38 total. Um, okay. And I knew 38 was very strong. I was trying to get by with a little less than that because I didn't want to overdrive that rotation. I'd heard from the, um, some of the Ashby guys that they're hearing back from 
uh, professional hunters in Africa that uh, the larger babbles, 40, 45 degrees, are not getting pass-throughs on, on Cape Buffalo. Mm, whereas, too much friction. Um, I think we had... I think we had six or seven guys get complete pass-throughs on Cape Buffalo with our double bevel last year. So I knew I didn't want to reduce penetration um, much. So anyway, I feel like that 32-degree angle is a pretty good place for very durable edges and an, a good amount of rotation. And to me, that's really why I came out with the, with the single bevel is that rotation is, uh, is kind of intriguing feature to it. Um shot i've shot some animals where and and we've got um we'll release a video here soon on our youtube channel so i was on a, at a hunt in alabama um where we had some access to a high-speed video camera and we got a, a a video of shooting a buck where you can see the arrow rotating prior to impact you know from the veins and then and then at impact continues to rotate all the way as it passes through the animal so that's awesome yeah and it so what that rotation does is that, you know, it's just not just a straight slice, but it, it's opening up holes better. And yeah, mm-hmm. I've, and I've often said that, yeah, okay. But a double bevel with a bleeder, I think opens them up better. Cause you get that cross cut and you're also get an extra 70% more slicing from that bleeder. So I preferred that, um, over the single bevel to sure. just straight two blade, um, uh, personally, um, but the thing I've also done with this is added a single bevel with a single bevel bleeder. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and with that, you get this rotation and you get this, you know, you're kind of making that S cut with four blades now. And those holes are looking more like round or even kind of square. Yeah. Um, yeah. And man, I shot one buck in Texas where it, uh, I shot it, it ran, it ran about 20 yards and st- stopped and then it um i pulled up my rangefinder with a 6x power and i looked at it and i saw what looked like a, a like a bloody arrow hanging straight down from the exit hole like a like a red tube um <laughs> and then i realized i found out the next day that, was that uh, the, the arrow was no the arrow was on the other side of the deer you know a long ways from there <laughs> and uh that was actually blood running out of it like a faucet and it's it, wild it walked walked about 20 yards and fell over, but it, it looked like you poured a, you know, a gallon jug on the ground. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I got to say, um, that has me a little intrigued on, on these holes opening up more with that rotation. So, yeah. Well, I know, I know Rob, uh, uh, I mean, Rob's colorblind and, and his blood trail wasn't hard to follow, uh, on, on his buck. I am historically the guy that is walking straight past the blood, just following physical <laughs> sign. And I mean, granted, the buck that I shot was on a huge ridge and it pretty much ran half stumbled down the ridge to the creek and crashed like 30 yards from the bottom of the ridge. But that's I mean, I had a trail that I could literally walk without any issue what, and did you yeah, shoot it with the bleeder I mean, version or the no bleeder version that was the the buff okay that's so no you hadn't, yeah. uh, at least i i hadn't seen the uh bleeder version when i got those from you yeah yeah and i shot animals with those too and and i would say that if i compare it just to our straight two blade which we which we call the our buff series um 
I, you know, that rotation from a single bevel, I think is a better hole than just a straight two blade. And, um, sure. and I think our double bevel with bleeder to me, that's a little bit better hole yet. And now yeah. the double bevel with bleeder, uh, I mean, the, the single bevel with single bevel bleeder, I think, um, could be kind of the, the best for opening up holes. I want to do, you know, more testing, shoot more animals, but, um, yeah, it's looking really good so far from our testers. When I yeah, saw yeah. that you were doing the, the bleeders, I was, you know, intrigued like the rest of us, but it was interesting. And like, I like it because you did it right. I guess like there are other companies that have single bevels with bleeders, but you know, either the steel sucks or like, it's just an additional piece that you put on the back of the ferrule or like when you, it screws in with the head as opposed to being a part of the head itself, mm-hmm. which is, that's what I like about the, about, you know, all of your heads is just that you know, it's all yeah. consistently the same. Well, and, and I've taken bleeders a, actually have a functional bevel on them. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, yeah, they're helping to drive that rotation because I, a straight, um, a straight bleeder would, would reduce that rotation, exactly. which, which kind of, um, you know, wouldn't be as, as effective. And, and yeah, I take a different approach with the bleeder design. I actually didn't want to put one initially. And then, um, I, we just found that they really open up the holes better. And so I, uh, I spent a lot of iterations getting that bleeder just right because I wanted one that wasn't going to be, um, you know, kind of disposable or, or breakaway or anything like that, but be the same blade thickness and be a very, um, reliable part of the whole project. Yeah. Yeah. Historically I've, I've been, <clears throat> been somebody that's really favored and, and liked, uh, just a regular two blade, uh, over, over anything else. But when I can get into a broadhead like yours that has really, really good quality steel and the amount of force it takes to, uh, uh, or the amount of force that it, it saves me, the amount of energy that it saves me to actually get into the thorax of an animal. I feel a lot more confident adding bleeders to something like that because there's, I mean, what yours is with bleeders that you've shown through all of your, your testing, your push force testing, uh, yours with bleeders is, uh, even quite a bit less than, than some other people, uh, that with, with less blades, like it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable stuff. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with, with the, with the design and the structural integrity of the broadhead itself, specifically on the, uh, on the edge retention. Yeah, when when we added our buff series, the no bleeder version, um, I tried to I tried to show that <laughs> that our bleeder version um, wouldn't penetrate as well through bone or hide or things like that. And man, it was a struggle. <laughs> um, all the all the work put into trying to minimize any negative impacts of that bleeder, um, I think shows there that it's it. Um, you know, I recommend it for you know basically North American big game. If I'm going to go to yeah. Africa and, you know, shoot a, a hippo or a Cape off or something like that. Yeah. Get rid of the bleeders then just go for max, max penetration. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Just try to do that one split through the heaviest of bone, things like that. But what I see, what I see really for elk and, you know, all the animals I hunt is that that cross blade being set back, you know, the bone is pretty much broken away to the size of that bleeder already when it gets there. And maybe just the tips of it are catching something, but, um, pretty, pretty minimal reduction in, uh, in penetration with it. But, you know, yeah. for the guys that are, 
there's a lot of guys that are just two blade guys. They don't want a bleeder. And I've tried to design our single bevel to work, you know, to be, to work very well. And I think be, you know, one of the best ones out there for sure for just a straight, um, single bevel, no bleeder version as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped to, to put some, some of these single bevel versions to work this year. I'm very, very excited for them. Um, so I want to, I want to circle back around to, uh, to some more stuff with your, with your heads as a whole. Uh, but before that, I want to talk about your, uh, your double bevel, um, uh, specific, I'm sorry, man, I put in the outline here, Ooh. double bevel wide, uh, uh, obviously the wide, uh, solid is, is what I was going for there. Uh, so you, when you originally released the wide, uh, the first I'll, I'll admit I'm, I was one of those guys. The first thing I did, I said, I don't want that because I want a solid blade. And, uh, I, I would assume that you got a couple of messages from knuckleheads like me saying the same thing. Uh, is there any reason why, uh, why you started with the, uh, the wide version with, uh, uh, or why you started the wide version being vented? Did it offer like better, like aerodynamics or flight characteristics or, uh, uh, forgiveness, I guess, when, when you were shooting those, is there any reason, uh, I guess in particular, you started with the vented over a solid? Well, I did it to hit the weight point, really. Um, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, because I wanted to get it, I wanted to get it to 125. Um, well, I was prototyping it at a 100 and a 125, where the 100 had had pretty big vents. The 125, the vents were were still fairly big, but they were quite a bit smaller, and it's a stronger blade than our 100 because of sure. the smaller vents. And mm-hmm. so the blade strength, though, um, was is very good with that 125 with those vents. Um, the first, really kind of the front half of the blade that takes all the impact is solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vents are set back. Um, so it was more to hit that weight point. I was also a bit concerned with a solid blade that big and, um, how forgiving would it be? Would, would there be some playing effects, things like that? Sure. And, and so, yeah, that's why I, and I use that 125 blade then for all the, heavier ferrules too. Uh-huh. Um, we just changed the weight by the ferrules. So that's why I did that one initially, um, really to hit that 125 weight point, which is what I typically shoot personally. And a lot mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. you know, it's our, it's a very popular weight for us in general, but hit, hit that weight point with a very strong blade. Um, and I didn't want to thin up the blade. So it's our same 62,000 thick, sure. you know, a two tool steel. So if, um, it, yeah, really for it to be very strong and hit that weight point. And I knew, yeah. I mean, I, I designed it with events at the size that they weighed 25 grains. So I knew that I could take them out. Oh, um, okay. Going I'm thinking forward. ahead a little there, Bill thinking ahead. <laughs> yeah, I knew, I knew. And it took literally like we announced it and, and immediately the questions came up <laughs> at what weight can I get a wide solid? So. <laughs> Probably from some of us. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And so it was, it was kind of in the works right away. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the, what are the benefits of a solid blade? It's stronger, right? It's mm-hmm, not that mm-hmm. our, our vented blades, we've never, um, I mean, you just can't break them shooting through femurs or whatever. They're plenty strong, right. yeah. but you, you can't argue that a solid blade is stronger. I mean, 
even science our, would probably say our, that. Yeah, even agree. our S125, we do a we do a brake strength test on every lot we make to make sure the heat treats right, and mm-hmm. we apply a thousand pounds to that in bending, Gracious. trying to snap it over, and we get zero damage to that blade at a thousand pounds. That's and, crazy. I mean, I test everybody else's blades out there too, and <laughs> and rarely do they go over you know a couple hundred and. And some of the, um, you know, supposedly high-end stainless blade steels, man, I could break those at 70 pounds. Um, I could break those with my fingers, I mean, with gloves on, but I could break those blades in half. Um, So anyway, it's, uh, yeah, solid blades are definitely very strong um, and they're they're quieter. Although our vented, I spent some time on that vented um, wide blade trying to, you know, did did fluid dynamic modeling, trying to minimize the turbulence and I can sure. get kind of a sound amplitude from there. And, and we did yeah. some kind of blind, uh, blind testing of, of, um, and I think they're pretty quiet for a vented blade, but, um, solid blades are always going to be quieter. There's just no airflow yeah. through Man, that. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I've, and I think we've talked about it. I won't, I won't go like super into it here, but I'm just, I'm a person that is not sold that the sound from heads is going to be a big deal. I mean, I, I, I think the sound of the bow is way more important in that aspect. Uh, I, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I don't, I don't buy into the whole, the head is too loud and it made the animal jump theory. No, I don't either. And I don't know if I mentioned this last time or not, but our sound testing kind of showed that that increased noise from vents or veins, that arrow is pretty close to the animal when that flare up occurs from our, yeah, it's right yeah, next to it. Exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah. I mean, a loud bow for sure. And, and I mean, they hear the bow and look at you and I, and their vision's excellent. So they see any little movement or even the arrow may be coming at them and, right. and they're moving from that as well. So some people say, well, it didn't move until the arrow was halfway there, but you know, maybe that's really when the sound got there or when they looked over at you or, head, or whatever. But I would encourage those people to stand a safe distance away from a target and have somebody shoot it and then see if they flinch too, because I do every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there, I guess, is there, uh, if somebody is looking at those two and, and let, let's say they were looking at either, cause I know this, the solid is only available in, in one fifty and up, right? One fifty to two fifty. Is that, is that right. accurate? Okay. Right. Okay. That's correct. Yep. Um, is there, is there any time where you would say, I would probably go with the uh, um, with the regular wide instead of the solid wide. If you're shooting like a 150 or a 200 or or something like that, uh, I, I guess because uh, I, I know we're going to get questions there. Yeah, we don't even offer that option. Um, so if you're going to get a 150 wide, it's going to be solid. Oh, okay. Um, so you completely removed yep. it. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So we took it away. I didn't want to. Yeah, we're getting enough different series of broadheads and models that um, I thought most of the guys going. Most of the guys would pick a solid blade if they're going that heavy. Sure. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's all we're offering. Cool. So, the, I mean, the question might be more, do you want to go with a wide 125 or the wide 150 and, and sure, push up that right. extra weight to go solid? And Yeah. I mean, I've, I've shot them both a lot. I shot the wide 150s um, a lot this year at, um, you know, at some hogs and whitetails. And, and I mean... I mean, they did wonderfully, but yeah. So, so did our wide, our vented wide. You know, at one twenty-five. I mean, sure, it's really sure, identical. Yeah. It's identical dimensions. It's just whether or not it has a vent in it. 
Sure. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's fair. Uh, I guess yeah. another question, kind of in, in comparison, because I know it'll be another question that we get every every time we have people on, and even guys we have on twice, we'll get the same questions, which is which is fine. Um, when when do you think it's appropriate to go with a wide over like a the the S series that you've got, or or vice versa? Is there is there a preference that you have, or something that you you generally recommend? So. For me personally, um, and I would say for like the average guy with your, you know, compound bow setup that uh-huh. you're not going to have a problem with penetration on our wide, the, you know, the, the force measurement testing I was doing, um, I think we talked about this last time, but our, you know, like when I pushed down through hide and meat, I was getting in that 10 to 12 pound range with, with all of our broadheads, whether they were the S 100 or the wide, um, you know, or the wide solid. So I, I think the force to penetrate is really primarily due to sharpness and edge retention as you're cutting through that animal. And whether it was even a scapula or not, I didn't see really a measurable difference between our standard and our wide for penetration. And man, I put that wide head through, you know, a big hog spine. Um, I put it through double shoulder blades. I put it through leg bones. Um, and we had a lot of testers do do similar things out there, and and a lot of a lot of elk hunters reported back too that they got complete pass throughs on their on their elk with the wide. So to me, it's not really a so much a penetration concern for the average guy's compound setup. It's sure. more to me, it's more of how far do I want to shoot, and is it going to be a, a bigger head is just not as forgiving um, as a more compact head. So sure. To me, I kind of draw the line around 60 yards. If it's under 60, sure, um, I'm cool with shooting the wide. If if I think it might be over that, um, and you know, and I have a well-tuned bow, and I, I shoot a lot at long range, and so consider those factors. But gotta gotta have a tuned bow, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to work without it. <laughs> but I shoot these a lot at 100 yards, along with our standards. And I can oh, just tell just, just a hundred bill, you're just going <laughs> to yeah. throw, just going to throw out that number and just walk away. All right. I got, I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, I don't know. Your crowd maybe isn't the iOS guys that are always trying to, <laughs> always trying to, to shoot that far and sure, yeah, get, tell yeah. me the problems if they can't shoot this far. So hey. I, it, <laughs> anyone over the that years, has shot that far is going to say that it's a riot. Yeah. Oh so. dude. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah. It, I, oh yeah. I, mean, I love shooting long distance. Yeah, I do it. I have a target at 100 yards. I shoot it almost every day out here. It's I just uh, it if you if you can hit that target, it's an 18 inch square target, and I, I haven't missed it with the wides, by the way. So I mean, they shoot at least that well. Um, but with our solids, I can hold, you know, tight groups, and with yeah. the wides, they're just open up a little bit, and I see a little bit more drag, a little bit more drop too. Um, sure. Probably more susceptible to wind. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm gonna do. I'm going to be doing more testing um, with the lab radar system where I can very accurately measure. Man, now you're, now you're talking my language. I've had a lab radar for a while. The thing is so, oh, have it's you? so they're, cool. They're oh nice. yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah. 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 Man, you want to, yeah. you want to get uh, no, no more trying to thread the needle on a chrono at, at 60 <laughs> yards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, um, yeah, they're, they're slick. If people are looking to do like, like really cool, like trying to get like really solid analytical data for, uh, for arrows and stuff, man, lab, lab radars are where it's at. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, so I had a, I had a friend kind of independently do a little testing. And so some preliminary results 
are that um, from between a field point and our standard has like our S, I think he tested the S125 for me, or mm-hmm. I, think, I think it was the same with S100, S125, but that and field points are like hitting the same at 80 yards, like within like a half inch. Um, there's, wow. there's very, very little increased drag with our S series. And, you know, a lot of work went into the fluid dynamic modeling to try and minimize drag and, and make it, make it so. Um, and then with our wide series, um, I, there was more like an inch or two drop difference. And so that's part of the reason why, yeah. you know, if it's going to be, and there's not that many guys shooting at animals, like, at 80 to hundred yards, but sure. I yeah. would say if you are, don't, don't, don't shoot the wide. I wouldn't, um, <laughs> sure. At that yeah. range. But I think for the average guy, I think, you know, our testers, we had a dozen or so testers, um, shooting the wides and had them all shoot them at 60 yards. And they all reported, um, you know, shot well with field points, good groups. And so, you know, these testers are all have tuned bows and, sure. and they're, um, but the, what I was going to say is I think, you know, the average whitetail guy, most shots are 40 yards and under. I think it's a great head for whitetails. Um, yeah. And oh, it's yeah. really what that, I recommend for whitetails. That that'd be all I used if I still hunted whitetail. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know why people buy, buy expandables anymore or mechanicals. <laughs> just doesn't make, doesn't make any sense to me, but what do I know? Um, no. And I, I go on about that, but I know I'm talking, I'm preaching to the choir here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh, one th- before we move on to this this crazy thing that we learned about today, uh, I want to I want to give a shout out to your the modularity that you have between your systems. And I know uh, it, it may not be uh, be the best for business, so you may be kicking me a little bit right now. So if I need to edit it out later, then that's that's fine. Uh, but man, like I love, I absolutely love how you can buy. Like, so for example, I have some solid 200s that I bought from you, right? And if I wanted to switch those to the single bevel version, I could buy the uh, the solid 200 single bevel blades, which I, I think are probably the same down to the 125s. It might be the same for all of them. I'm not sure. Uh, but, and then I essentially have a double bevel or a single bevel available. And all I have to do is, is get a little Torx bit out. I think it's a T5 or something like that and and swap that blade around and it's and it's done and now granted i know i could i could do uh um the single bevel bleeder which i'm gonna i'm gonna get some of those too uh but but i really i really like how you you have it set up to where you can uh, you if you buy the core you buy a couple of packs to get started then you can you can kind of buy some parts that surround it to change that to different either different weights or different uh blade styles like man you've you've got you've got a really, really cool system that I think a ton of people, uh, um, haven't like dove into that side of it yet, which I think is, uh, is a, a, a part that, uh, maybe, maybe you don't want to play up a ton because, <laughs> because you won't be able to buy whole head systems from you, which I totally get. But man, from somebody like me who likes to tinker, that's, that's awesome. It's really, really cool. Well, that's yeah, the, the way yeah. that I kind of looked at it was cause I picked up I've got 125s and 200s mm-hmm. that I've been kind of playing with. And so that's, it's the same blade. And so it's okay. So I've got right. 125s and 200s, get some replacement blades. Now I shoot something and I'm a sharpness snob 
And so if if I shoot ahead, I'm going to at least touch it up with a strop. And in this case, it's like, okay, get back to camp, put a fresh blade in it, set it off to the side to touch up at home. Yep. And now I can enjoy <laughs> enjoy the rest yep. of my evening and, and not think about it. Like that, that kind of stuff is, is huge for me just because it's one less thing that needs to get done when typically you already got kind of a, a busy camp. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. A few guys have, uh, have kind of caught on to that, that we're, we've reused the same ferals in pretty much every series of broadhead we have. So that original, that original V100 titanium ferrule is the same ferrule for our S125 and our wide 125, um, and our single bevel 125. Um, so yeah, if you, and, and really the single bevel 125 or the single bevel blade is the same as our S125 blade with a different grind. So it's got the same blanking die to it. It's just, we grind it. Um, we grind it differently. Right. But they they interchange, (laughs) (laughs) Yep, they interchange. So if you've got, Right. If you've got S125s now, want to try some single bevels, you can just buy some replacement blades and throw them in there and try them. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool when we get when we get a lot of our customers are um, have kind of bought some of each new thing we came out with, and, and they like to do that swap yeah. around and yeah, try, try, Man, try out different I, things. I I I from a from a curiosity standpoint, I really appreciate uh, appreciate you doing that. Um, Okay, so I, th- I think I'm ready to move on to this wild thing that I was not expecting to see today. When, and man, <laughs> I I picked like the wrong day to be really busy at work because I would I would have really liked to have been on social media a little bit more as this thing was starting to make the rounds. But uh, um, so we had you had we we briefly talked about this. Crane, you didn't tell me anything about it. You just said you were you were looking at doing a micro diameter like proprietary style ish kind of uh um component slash broadhead thing and i was like oh, okay yeah cool that's that's not it's not what we're doing so you know that's it's fine and uh and then you drop this thing today and i was very intrigued to say oh, the yeah. least uh so tell us about the uh so are, are you calling it this like the snyder core broadhead are you calling it the the Snyder core like system, I, I guess what, what, what is this thing? Cause it's kind of all together. Uh, don't really know how to explain it. <laughs> so yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you take the reins on it. Yeah. So I've been working with, I've been working with Aaron Snyder on this for maybe six months or so. Sure. Where, you know, there's, I think there's been a need out there for a, a better, um, broadhead component system for micro diameter arrows. Hey, you're, you're um, telling we us. We agree. And I, <laughs> I, I just hear, I hear it all the time. And, and I, I mean, I personally switched to micro diameter arrows a few years back for two years and then went back to the two of fours. I just didn't feel like, um, you know, that the durability wasn't as good as the two of fours and the advantages of micro. I was kind of questioning if it was worth it with the systems available. Um, but at the same time, I've been wanting to, I've kind of been wanting to try out micros again because of the the benefits you can have for wind drift, um, reduced drag, you know, that smaller, that less surface area, um, 
it should have less drag, you know, downrange. It should yeah, yeah. have less wind drift. Um, we, we've talked to, so, sorry to cut you off. We've talked to somebody else who is, uh, <clears throat> who's, uh, I think he was actually a nuclear physicist that, that might tip off some people as to who this is. Um, but, uh, he talked to me and uh, this is, I have not verified, verified this at all, but Bill, you're a smart guy. Maybe you can tell me, uh, he, he was talking about how the, I don't even know what it would be called, but like the, the wind break that is created by an arrow, uh, depending on the fletching can be like, like six or seven inches. Uh, I mean, which is just wild to me. And, and from, I, I guess from, uh, what I'm gathering for, what he was explaining with what that actually means is that, uh, there's six or seven in- inches like that surround that entire arrow as it travels through the air where wind will actually affect that arrow because it's like sitting in this pocket of turbulence. So even though the arrow is only, you know, uh, a quarter of an inch at most really, uh, well, maybe a little bit more, but, uh, you know, a quarter of an inch thick, it's got like six or seven inches of air all the way around it that, that can, that can give it, uh, uh, you know, where wind can push it one direction or another. So that makes uh, smaller stuff become, more and more important, especially at longer ranges. Yeah. I mean, the six or seven, that seems kind of, that seems kind of large to me, but what you definitely get is, um, just from fluid dynamic modeling, you can see is that when the arrows, you know, traveling, you know, with that wind velocity Mm -hmm. going around it, you get this, um, you kind of get this, this boundary layer that's, it's going out around the blades and everything. And, and, you know, at the shaft, there's, there's very little relative velocity. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm kind of a fan of, of veins that are more than a half inch tall or a half inch taller or more is because there's not a lot of relative velocity in that first quarter inch or so. Um, mm-hmm. and even at the, for that first half inch, you aren't up to speed yet at that point. Um, so you're not getting like, if you got a bunch of really short veins, you're not really doing you're not really doing a lot with them, but anyway, there's, yeah, there's this, there's this kind of boundary layer of, of air around it. So you have this, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of acts wider than the shaft. It's kind of being, being pushed on with a crosswind. Um, but you know, reducing that and you know, that flowing out around the, the head, I think it all comes back and sure and it settles down. Um, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe within six inches or so. Um, it doesn't go all the way back to the veins anyways, like some people, um, think I don't believe, at least from the modeling, it doesn't look like it, it affects right. it that far back, but right. anyways, just having that less surface area should, should reduce the drag. Um, and it should reduce that, that crosswind effect too. And yeah, and I think there's other people that have done studies showing that I'm planning to do more studies this year on that, uh, with the Hooter shooter and different diameter arrows and, and try and quantify that for, my setup with my, cause it's going to be, depend on arrow mass and, and things as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot, uh, in addition to wind, uh, um, being a big factor and, and being able to buck the wind a little bit better, uh, do, have you found, uh, or have your testers found that micro diameters just in general penetrate better because there's less drag on the, on the shaft? <clears throat> Um, there's kind of mixed reports on that. I mean, if you shoot them into a foam target, yes, 
micros sure. go micros go in further. If you shoot them in the ballistic gel, yeah, they go in further. But you know, those are really kind of friction sure, dominated yeah. systems that friction yep. on the shaft. I wish um, people would realize that. <laughs> I don't think I you're not gonna get that, you know, really through a, a lot of the animal because of the you know, the fluids. Um sure, yeah. There's gonna be it's gonna be low drag on the shaft through an animal. So, you know, I, yeah. I, I know some people have said you're going to double penetration. Um, well, maybe if you shoot through a foam target or something, but I don't think through yeah. an animal, I don't, yeah. that's not maybe, the reason. Oh, I, maybe only if you cover it in, in olive oil, but that's, that's really about, <laughs> that's really about the yeah. only way to simulate um, the fluid of the animal. Sorry, continue. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there may be some, uh, some effects through, you know, bone or, or hide, but I, to me, that's not why I would do it. I don't think, I mean, you might get a little more penetration and I'm going to try and quantify that as well, but sure. Um, I don't think that's a biggest factor as a lot of people play it up to be. I think the the reason more for it to me is that um, long range shooting, um, yeah, dra- drag yeah. and wind drift. So yeah, well in, in energy savings, right? Like that's, it's a, and, and the ability to enter the target straight in parallel, <laughs> you know, you, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons why you don't want uh, outside forces acting on that arrow. So, um, so talk, talk a little bit about this component broadhead system thing. What, what makes this unique? Uh, and, uh, I know, um, Aaron's probably posting a video. They're probably already up today, I would guess. So uh, as soon yeah, as people my, are done listening here, they should go on either your YouTube channel or, or Farocast YouTube channel or something and go go look at look at it there because this is a this is really this is really really unique. But yeah, tell us tell us about where where this came from and, and why. Yeah, we just announced it a few hours ago, so my my phone's lighting up here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I'll be busy till till midnight here answering questions on it. But what it um, what it is. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of our, of a, of a 204 diameter system where we have our very high strength ferrule material and, you know, the shank of our broadhead goes down and aligns directly to the center of the arrow shaft. Yeah. Um, so if you have, you know, it's pretty much guaranteed to spin true. There's only a couple of tenths per side clearance there. Yeah. Uh, very precisely made ferrule, a well-made arrow. The alignment's going to be excellent. And then, um, you know, there's a hit insert behind that. And then add our impact collar to that, that kind of, that overlaps the hit. And mm-hmm. it really um, makes it a lot more robust. So, I mean, that that's pretty bomb proof. I've been using that for years now. Um, yeah. And I like that it's, you know, the strength is built into the arrow, I say, versus putting something strong that's an inch out in front. Sure. Um, yeah. And then having, so the, I mean, the negatives with that is you have. Expl- explain that if you could, why, why you uh-huh. have to have something an inch out in front with a, with a micro diameter for, for the, explain to the class bill, if you could. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a standard broadhead, um, the ATA industry standard replacement point system, you need to allow for a, a, like nine tenths of an inch long. Um, broadhead shank and threads and Mm -hmm. so if that does if that can't go in your arrow it's all going to sit out in front of your arrow with with a half outer outsert so now um, let's say the let's say you get a side impact on that broadhead that's that's a half inch up from say the base of it and it's it's driving the side of that broadhead to this you know to the side and 
So instead of having like a half inch lever arm to your arrow where it might want to start bending that shank or damaging that arrow, now you've got an inch and a half long uh, lever arm. So you're just right. trip. You just tripled, tripled the bending force, the bending moment on it, and you're three times as more likely to to bend that shank or damage that arrow um, because and of that. The, the physics nerd in me, since when you said bending moment, just like oh, that was great. <laughs> That's great. Keep, keep doing that. Um, I, yeah, I try not to it, use it, that word, but I figured you'd understand. You'd know no, yeah, no, I, 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 I appreciate it. it uh, completely unrelated, but uh, our, our our buddy Sam is a is an aerospace engineer. He was actually our one of our last guests that we that we just had, and uh, I saw somebody on social media try and get into it with Sam over uh, over physics, oh, and uh, that's a mistake. Like, oh, ended ended soul. ended poorly for that guy. Uh, <laughs> Sam's entire job is to put things into space. So yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's surprising the so number well. of companies out there that um, yeah would quote physics or the laws of physics, and then they um, yeah just totally. Prove they up, don't so. understand them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I'll even admit, like there, there's probably times where we say things that are uh, it's it's dumbed down a bit. Um, uh, and, and there's, I mean, there have been times, uh, uh, me particularly, where I've said things that are have just been like flat out wrong. But I've I've tried to walk those back. But yeah, man, uh, uh, moment. I'm, I'm I, I dig that. But but yeah, you. Uh, so I, I think it's something that I I really really like here, like a lot, and. Uh, so I literally saw this, I, I saw the component system as I was like walking out of my office today, like to get in my car in negative 18 degree weather and drive home. And I was like, oh, uh, th- th- this is a thing. Okay. Um, and so I started listening to the podcast and uh, with with you and Aaron, and I got to the, I, I just got to the part where you started talking about it. And I was thinking, Man, I feel like this would be this would make a lot of sense if you could uh, if you could screw this in with a with a hit system. Um, right. I, I, or I, I was I was thinking I was thinking of a, of another manufacturer who has something on the other end of the arrow where you glue something in there that you know further in. I was like, man, I wish wish you could do something like that with this system. That'd be that'd be really cool. And then and then for like two seconds, I was like, did I think of something that built? didn't think of like surely not and then and then i found out that i was indeed wrong and that you did think of that uh so so you can use this with the uh with the deep six uh hit system right you've threaded it uh to where it can it can come in and out uh like that right yeah that's right so yeah to me the ideal way to do a broadhead component system for a micro would be to have a broadhead with a, a really long shank on it um so you know an so this system has a is a one inch long um, shank before you get to the threaded portion of it, right. and so yeah, it's going to be it's got a very tight tolerance, just a couple of tenths per side clearance to the arrow. So the alignment's going to be excellent. It it's going to have a lot of strength because of that long shank of a very high strength material. You put the impact yep. collar over that, and it's kind of a hybrid system where you know the way um, the way Aaron Snyder. When we started working on this, he really wanted a glue-in system, um, and he'd been using our 204 diameter system like a glue-in. Like he'll just screw the hit. Ah, uh, yeah. He'll screw the hit onto the back of his arrow. Just glue the whole just thing. Just put in. hot melt on it, shove it, put a collar on, shove it in there. Because he's building like four dozen arrows at a time. Where <laughs> right, yeah, or yeah. 
two dozen are, are killing arrows with broadheads and, um, you know, two dozen are field points or something. And, and so he's found that to be a, a very robust system. You know, he, he's a trad guy, so he's shooting, right. Hitting a lot of rocks and trees and stuff. Um, and a lot of animals too, but, but they, uh, they send, tend to throw some trad flags out there and, <laughs> yeah. and he's been, he's been really happy with it. Wanted to do a kind of a glue in microsystem. Um, I, I've done some testing with that setup as a glue in, and it, it's pretty slick, really. Um, yeah. But I also wanted the, the threaded option, um, and so came up with this idea of well, we'll put we'll put a hit on the back of it. You can use it as like a different weight system if you want. Just want to do a straight glue in. Um, that way, I don't have to make a different ferrule for every weight either. Yep. Um, yep. And then, but you can also use it as a hit system for guys that do want to just just thread it in. So yeah. that's what it is. Um, we're making a new, you know, hit insert tool that'll push it in just a little over an inch deep. Um, gotcha. so that's where gotcha. the hit will sit. And we make hit inserts in a 15 grain titanium and then 25, 50, 75, or a hundred grain hardened steel. So you can do a lot of weight options with this system. You can get as low as 120 grains up front and go all the way up to 350 grains up front. How, how long is that yeah. biggest weight? The longest uh, weight is like two and a half inches. So you end up with, um, you know, the one inch shank and then I think it's two and a, two and a half or two and a quarter. I can pull that up here. Um, yeah, you end up with so a nice you're, you're reinforcing floor. basically yeah. a two to three inches of, of the shaft or maybe right. slightly more than that with the heaviest. Which Man. is which is very important for micros. Um, yes, the the one may well, say the most important. <laughs> it, it's multifaceted because not only is that providing significantly more internal support and a much longer internal footer compared to, I mean, I can only think of one other micro system that has a significant internal footer. Yep, it's also eliminating all that additional leverage at the front. Yep. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's a s solid looking design. Yeah, man, um, I'm, I'm very impressed with this. Are you yeah, planning I mean, to have uh, specific field points to counter? Yes. With those heads then? Yes. Yep. So we'll have a field point for uh, each of the weight options there. So gotcha. we really, I'm really building this as two different feral weights. Uh, a titanium version that will end up being with say our with our s if we use our s125 kind of blade setup um it'll be a 135 with this longer shank gotcha. um but i'm i'm trying to push people that don't think about the broadhead weight think about what you want for total weight up front right because yes yes <laughs> i'm gonna because i'm gonna shoot like for elk setup will probably be um that 135 broadhead with a, I'll probably do a 15 grain hit. So then I'm at 150 there, and then I can add a 10 grain collar to get 160, or the 25 grain collar, which is probably what I'll do to be at 175. Yeah. Total up front. Um, but guys, they, I mean, they can do it as a glue in and be at 135 plus the collar 10. You know, be 145 or. We're offer also offering with our V series where it says 110 grain broadhead. Um, 
So then you can add the hit insert and collar and be at, um, what would that be? One, one twenty-five more. So one thirty-five total up front with that, with the uh, with the hit insert system. So it's, I did a lot, I did some surveys and most guys the weight up front one fifty to one seventy-five is really common. Um, yeah. For at least you know a lot of the out west big game hunters. Um, yep. Yep. And so that's what I was trying to really be able to hit with this system and get a little bit, little bit lower, but also extend it as heavy as people want to go. Yeah. Man, I really like this series. This is not going to be good. Not <laughs> going to be good. My wife is going to kill me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to, uh, before we, we wrap this up real quick, I want to talk about the, uh, the benefits of, uh, of the alignment and concentricity. Um, do, do you find that, that, I mean, and it makes sense to me that, I mean, you want to align everything with the, with the, with the middle of the middle of the middle of the inside of the shaft. So I, I don't think there's any better way to do it than, than a system like this, uh, at least not nothing that I'm, nothing that I can think of as far as, as tr- trying to keep things as concentric as possible. Yeah. To me, I, I can't see making a broadhead feral to, it's concentric to a one ten thousandths of an inch. Um, and then having a big component stack up to where the point's going to vary back and forth by, you know, 15 thousandths or something like that. Right. So right. It's, yeah. So what happens with, um, so this really has kind of minimal tolerance stack up. There's very little clearance yeah. um, of a couple of tenths per side. And then with a one inch long, shank you can see that you're only going to be able to tip that a couple tenths um you know say at most at most like a half a thousandths per half thousandths over one thousand so less than you know less than an inch per inch or less than a thousandths per inch um tilt in fact half of that much so extrapolate it out to the point of your broadhead i mean that's it's kind of guaranteed to to spin perfectly you know within right a thousandths of an inch kind of a thing to yeah. where a typical half out system, you've got some, you've got clearance between that and the shaft and it's that clearance. What I've seen from Prince is, you know, four or five times the clearance we have to start with. So you've got some tip there, then you've got a tolerance between that, that shank of that half out to then the other end of the half out where you have the diameter that's going to hold the broadhead. And, you know, a lot of these are made on machines that are only going to hold a few thousandths of an inch um, concentricity or, or run yep. out. So yep. got to be made on a good machine. Yeah. Has I mean, that, to be made on a good machine. That right there is 10 times the run out of our feral. Um, and so you, so you've got that tolerance stack up and then you've got a clearance between the diameter of the broadhead and, and that component there where there can be a little bit of a tip. Um, and you're also, this is way out in front now. So you can see, you can get add all those tolerances and then how much is that point can easily be off um, by quite a bit. So I'm saying this system is is 10 times better for alignment than any half out or outsert system. And I've just kind of gone through the math on it. And I believe that's true. I don't I don't think um, anything would be close to this in, in alignment. The closest would be just a deep six system itself. Right. Um, right. But but this would actually be better than that, too, because the clearance is about half as much on the shaft and the shank is about three times as long um, right. that, that shank yep. on a deep six is only 0.3 inches. So 
if you just take that, you know, half the clearance, three times long, that's six times better than just the deep six. Um, yeah. And that system is, you know, 10 times better than half out. So it's, it's just a night and day difference in alignment. Now, do you need it to be aligned that well? Um, well, I mean, that kind of depends on how, on how far are you shooting? You know, yeah. how far are you shooting and how <laughs> yeah. perfect do you want things to be? And yeah. no, probably not, especially for close range. But um, man, it, you know, the strength improvement along with the alignment, it's, it's pretty, pretty sweet system, I think. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm very it's, excited. For the first time in a long time, I'm excited to potentially play with some micros. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. I, I did the same thing that you did, Bill. That's I played with them a handful of years ago and ran them through the paces and I just kept breaking stuff. And it was like, I know why it's breaking, but I never broke it with, with my two Oh fours. Right. So I'm going to go back to that. Yep. I mean, you and you and about 10,000 other people that have, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, no doubt there's been a need for a better micro diameter system. And, you know, I'm yeah. still going to have one bow set up for 204 and another bow set up for, for the micros this year and, and do a lot of side-by-side testing on, you know, long range flight durability and wind drift and, and things yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm excited to go back and shoot micros now with this system too. Yeah. No kidding. Just out of curiosity. I don't think we've ever talked about it. What, uh, what bow do you shoot? Well, I've been going back and forth between Hoyt and Matthews. I currently have a, last year I hunted with a Matthews VXR, um, mm-hmm. 75 pound, um, man, I really like that bow, shoot it well at long range and, and got a lot of animals with it. Um, so I'm going to keep that one set up for about 204. Um, mm-hmm. I was at this Alabama hunting camp where the Hoyt guys were there shooting a commercial on their new bows and got to shoot those and got to know those guys a bit and, um, pretty cool guys. Yeah. And, um, they're going to ship me a, an RX Hoyt RX five. So I'm going to set that up for the micros here. Nice. And man, I, I, I've gone back and forth between those two bows. I like them both a lot. Um, but those are the two bows I'll be shooting this year. Yeah. Nice. nice. I, a, I shot the venom 33 and that's the first Hoyt I've liked in a very, very long time. Yeah. I like that too. Um, and I was actually thinking about going with that one, but with my draw length at 30 inches, I would talk to the the engineering manager there. Oh, yeah, you're and, like um, right in between their two or well, yeah, you're in between you're like on the lower end of their bigger cam, right? Yep. So I can get, um, I can get that kind of peak performance from the RX five yeah. at yeah. 30 inch draw. So that's what I went with there. Yeah. Um, Leave it to Bill to go talk to the engineering manager about what would perform best. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Color me shocked. <laughs> yeah. I uh, wouldn't expect anything less, Bill. I really wouldn't. I'm I'm happy that I have good engineering contacts at both Hoyt and Matthews now. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. yeah, when I get a new bow, I like, get the details. Okay, what's what is, what's your design intent here? What, what yeah. did you, um, in, where exactly did you intend the rest to be for tuning and and so I get, you know, some of the cheat sheets there and some of the inside scoop yeah. on, on designs yeah. and yeah, they're both really, uh, really sound, uh, engineering teams, I believe. Cool. So, cool, man. That's yeah. awesome. Well, what's, uh, what's coming up next for you? What hunts do you have planned for, for this year? Well, I've got a, I've got a, 
one buck tag left in Texas. You can shoot two bucks down there. So I, oh, uh, nice. that season goes for two more weeks. Um, got to get down there. I got to get uh, my work wrapped up this week so I can get down there. For that yeah. <laughs> now you uh, just released some new products. Good <laughs> luck getting down there, man. Yeah. It's been and a crazy couple of days their, here. Their cold weather snap. Yeah. Yeah, it was deer be uh, moving. Be a good time to be down there, man. Just, it was ten below down there this morning. Or, oh uh, my lord! Story, huh? and, <laughs> no, no, no. And my friend down there said he doesn't remember. He doesn't remember ever seeing it below zero before. It was ten below today. Oh so. no! Wow. Um, yeah, I'd try to give it a week. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna um, yeah, I'll deer hunt in Texas next week. Hopefully, um, I'll go back and hunt hogs in Texas. In um, probably April or May or both. Um, and then I think the next hunt will be uh, caribou in August. And then go. I'm going to be hunting elk in Colorado, um, mule deer in Colorado. I've got a, I should draw a Wyoming elk tag this year. So nice. hoping to hunt elk nice. in Wyoming also. Um, and then, yeah, what I say? I said mule deer in Colorado. I'll hunt whitetails. And I think this year I'm going to hunt um, Illinois and Indiana, maybe Wisconsin, maybe, and probably Texas. So I've got quite a few hunts. Well, there you if, go. You, if you get out to Wisconsin, give me a shout. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. We're, I didn't hear, I didn't, I didn't hear any Turkey there, Bill. What, what's, <laughs> uh, what's wrong with you? Oh, didn't hear any Turkey hunting. I meant, uh, um, yeah, I don't, I do. I will Turkey hunt when I'm in Texas hog hunting. Because <laughs> I have, there you go. I have, I do have four turkey tags down there. So, there you go. Um, so the wide, the wide, our wide broadheads will get a workout on some turkeys. Hopefully. Speaking of turkeys and wides, I sacrificed one of mine, and I have no idea where it went. The turkey died though, but no idea where the arrow and broadhead went. <laughs> yeah, I'm I might shocked. have to work on a turkey. Uh, turkey head that stops a little bit um, sooner than, Oh man, don't oh, Bill, don't do it. No, Bill, Bill's going to get, Bill's going to get me divorced. dude. Like, this, this is bad. So well, the last, uh, on, on, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. The, la- the last Turkey I shot with an iron wheel broadhead, which was the last Turkey I shot. Um, my buddy found that arrow two years later in a, in a tree about a hundred yards past that, where that Turkey was standing yeah. on a log. So, yeah, I mean, my, my problem was kind of that I shot it with my 80 pound bow and it was only 20 yards away. It didn't, it didn't slow down. Shot a 15 pound bird with an 80 pound bow and like a 600 grain arrow with an iron will on it, dude. Yep. It it disappeared. It just zipped on through. I even tried to slow down because I took video of it. I even tried to slow down the video and see if I could like see where it ricocheted. No clue. Couldn't, couldn't find it. It's in the next County, dude. Probably. Jeez. (laughs) well it did make uh, a big hole though yeah yeah i I bet (laughs) it's almost what is it it's like two and two and three eighths of cutting diameter something like that a wide uh two and one eighth inch two and one eighth yeah yeah why once again i don't know why people shoot mechanicals doesn't make any sense to me um (laughs) so uh sorry it doesn't i'll i'll make one comment when i was in alabama there's a guy that shot a white tail with a, a rear deploy mechanical, very popular one, um, 40 days prior. And then he shot the same buck with an iron will when I was th- down there. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Nice. And I, I saved it on our Instagram story if you want to listen to it. But he tells me the story. You can see the scar there right on the shoulder, right on the scapula. Mm. Um, he showed me the video of 
the bucks hit and it runs away and you know all but a couple inches of arrow are are hanging out of the deer <laughs> and so it never penetrated the scapula this was a 70 pound bow um you know downward shot it would have been a perfect kill shot if it would have just made it through the scapula instead it it didn't he shot it 40 days later with an iron will and this time it was quartering away and it broke the shoulder on the opposite side and then it stuck eight inches in the dirt mm-hmm. and you know killed killed it quick and he tells that story on our instagram and so we were joking the Hoyt guys were there too and so i was calling that other broadhead a uh, catch and release broadhead <laughs> <laughs> i that's, assume that's i assume funny. you made a convert out of him oh yeah everybody there was uh, <laughs> yeah, was getting some that's awesome broadheads yeah. there you go man that's good stuff well is there uh, uh are there any other products that uh, uh that you have in the hopper that you want to tease if not that's fair i guess but i I, I have to ask because people are going to ask us, uh, you know, didn't, did he say anything about new products? So here's, here's your time not, to say, nothing. I'm not telling you or, or here you go, <laughs> man. The only, the only other things you're going to see new from us, um, you know, between now and fall, I'd say is a couple of knives. Um, oh, nice. Ooh, all right, yeah. all right, I probably right. shouldn't have said that. We can cut, the, we cut that already, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll, anyway, we'll a couple of, a couple of uh, knives I'm working on that will um, will release this summer. Um, cool, nice. But yeah, those are those those have been some kind of fun projects too. But I hadn't uh, seen your new, Skinner new... until today, and that thing looks nice. Yeah, yeah, that um, that works well for skinning without you know cutting through the hide. It has a big wide blade, big radius to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Our our K1 knife is um, just weighs one ounce, and so it's a good ultralight backcountry knife so and, crazy dude it's so nuts. yeah <laughs> so, so i've got some got a couple new ones i'm working on that will uh will bring out the summer um other nice. than that this is it that's it for i think that's it for new broadheads for this year that we're gonna release <laughs> Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. There you go. Well, cool, man. Well, Bill, as always, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. I really enjoy having on, uh, other nerds and, uh, I, I definitely put you in that classification and I know, I know true nerds wear that badge with honor. So, uh, I, I, pre- I appreciate you coming on here and, and talking with us, uh, just for, for everybody who's, uh, who's wondering where they can go to see your products, buy your products, where, where can they go and check all that out at? Yeah, our website is um, ironwelloutfitters.com. Our Instagram and Facebook is um, Ironwell Outfitters. So you can usually our Instagram and most has copied to our Facebook page too. But usually right. any any new kind of announcements and product information that's new will, will be on there. Gotcha. Cool. And the the single bevels and the double be- or in the uh, wide solids are available now in the Snyder cores or uh, pre order right now, right? Yeah, the um, the wide solids. Uh, we just started filling the pre-orders on those now, so we still have gotcha. it. We still have it shown as pre-order because if you order them right now, you're not gonna they're not gonna ship next day just until we get sure. caught up caught up on sure. those. But uh, we are starting to ship the wide solid now and the single bevels. We're gonna start shipping those in about uh, two weeks, um, filling the pre-orders first. So. And then we just started accepting pre-order on that um, Snyder core system, that micro diameter um, broadhead system we just talked about. And those we're going to ship sometime in April. We don't have exactly nailed down yet, but we just started taking pre-orders on those uh, tonight. Nice. Gotcha. Cool. 
Awesome, man. Well, Bill, uh, I really appreciate you hopping on here and talking with us. Uh, I know our uh, our listeners, the, the last two episodes, well, the one episode we recorded that we had to split into two parts was was probably one of the most popular episodes or series of episodes we've ever had. And uh, I think def- people uh, definitely enjoy your product and enjoy the the thought that's gone into it. So on, on behalf of the bow hunting community, thank you for making making a quality product and bringing it to market. Well, thanks a lot for having me on, guys, and and appreciate what you guys do trying to trying to make people more lethal and get get the facts out there. So that's good stuff. Yeah. Hey, we we do what we can, we do what oh, we yeah. can. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you're still here, uh, appreciate you hanging out with us. Until next time, disrupt the status quo.